Book One, Water. Chapter Nine, The Waterbending Scroll. A young water tribe girl and her weird monk friend came aboard me ship and stole me waterbending scroll. Then later, an angsty teenager and his smelly grandpa showed up and claimed to know the vandals and how to capture them. So we struck an accord. Once we captured the bandits, we realized the monk boy is actually the Avatar. So we turned on the fire teen and got all swashbuckly like we do. Anyway, we lost the Avatar and the scroll in the end. Not a great story from our point of view, I suppose. You best start believing in storybenders, because you're in one. Storybenders. I'm Abria Iyengar. And I'm Josh Arkin. And today we're talking about episode nine, the waterbending scroll, and the interconnected concepts of legacy, ownership, and entitlement as the gang kicks off the adventure-packed act two of the hero's journey. But before we get into that, let's go through the plot of the episode point by point, just as a little refresher. Yeah, let's do it. So the episode opens on Aang, visibly anxious. Concerned he won't be able to meet Avatar Roku's pressing deadline, so we're picking up right where we left off with last week's episode. Yeah. To help calm Aang's anxiety, Katara offers to teach him some waterbending moves that she already knows. Feels a little weird that this is the first time that's coming up, but like, right? hi! <laughs> She's like, alright, let's land. Let's find some water and, you know, you know, try it. Try some moves out. Yeah. Um, much to Katara's frustration, Aang is just immediately able to waterbend. Yeah, like, but of course he is. Yeah. Yeah, even even Sokka knows it, right? Yeah, it's very fun having Sokka as the voice of reason throughout this entire scene as, like, Katara sort of mentally tanks as she sees Aang just pick all of this up immediately. Ugh. So it feels really good that there's so sort of a straight man there going like, yeah, dude, he's the Avatar. Calm the fuck down. Right. So a- Aang's massive wave accidentally washes away all their supplies and so now they need to go find somewhere to replace all their stuff yep and meantime we are also dealing with like iroh uh who is going to end up leading uh there's a very cute like mutiny reference uh if you couldn't tell from the intro this is a pirate themed episode Yay! so there's a cute little like reference to the idea of mutiny because iroh has changed the course of uh zuko's little like lost boy ship uh, to the nearest port because he needs a pie show tile. He needs his, like Lotus tile for his pie show game. I love this moment because it's a seed planted for the order of the white Lotus, which doesn't even come up in avatar until the midway through season two. Yeah, that's a long way from now, but I like that there's a lot of like planting of seeds of uh, things that will pay off and like, important symbols that'll keep popping up so yeah zuko not into it but like doesn't really have much of a choice and both our good guys and our bad guys are all in the seedy port town now what a place (laughs) there are some goofy pirate mofos all over the place uh i think this episode has the single greatest line in the entire series ever please josh (laughs) Who's brave enough to look into this bag? <laughs> it's just the dopest background. At, like, 
just a little bit of filler to make the world seem big, but it's just a pirate standing on top of a table in the background, waving a bag around going, who's brave enough to look in this bag? Yeah, we're only pointing out the important details here. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Absolutely from the bad with money thread from something awful as he buys like a goofy little whistle that apparently doesn't work. We say it doesn't work in quotes because obviously set up some payoffs, people set up some payoffs. Yeah. Deus ex mapana. That was my favorite uh, Jason Isaacs movie, actually. (laughs) Not Oscar Isaacs. Crap. Jason Isaacs. I keep thinking of that. Yeah. I love him so much. Yeah. I think I just like actors with the last name Isaacs. Yeah. I think that's just my thing. Well, Oscar Isaac is only one Isaac. Um. Well, I like all Isaac, whether they are singular or plural. Or plural. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine for me. You're you're very pro Isaac. Thank you. I'm a pro Isaac uh, streamer. That's my that's my whole deal. I'm behind it. Anyway, so a very pirate like person who is clearly a pirate invites the gang onto his boat. Yes. Oh, there's also a very cool moment in the establishing shot where we see the boat in the port uh, where we there's just a guy walking through the front person. I'm not going to like assume gender uh, walks through the frame uh, dressed in like Earth Nation green, but they're blindfolded. And it's just a blindfolded person. Yeah. Walking through the shot. And it like absolutely like lit my brain on fire. We were watching this together. And I think it was like 30 seconds after the person passed by. I was just like, hold on. Yeah, you were like, wait, go back. And I didn't even notice. (laughs) It took that long for my brain to be like, no, they were definitely blindfolded. That is just a thing that is true. We need to go back and confirm. Yeah, and I I actually, I pointed out then and I'll do it now. It's it's pretty cool. It, it, It made me think that this was the writers sort of flexing on the concept of really powerful earthbenders who don't need to see to interact with their environment because they're using the vibrations in the earth to sort of echolocate their environment, which is obviously uh, the season two character Toph, who we love is like the best at that. Yeah. So it felt like a little nod to like maybe in the writer's room, they were already working on the concept for Toph here. Yeah. I wonder uh, how much of the like show and lore Bible was already done by this point. Because, I mean, we know now that, like, earthbending is based off of uh, those giant uh, mole. What are they called? There's just big moles? The badger moles. Badger mole. That's it. These giant badger moles that are blind. And, uh, like, I'm just curious if, like, they already knew that that was true. So that was a thing that they wanted to bring up and continue to reinforce through, like, character design. Yeah. it's It's a great question. I Yeah. I will look that up. After we're done recording. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. No, it's fine. We don't have to look it up. We'll just assume (laughs) that the writers are very good. It's fine. (laughs) So they're on the boat now. And Sokka puts two and two together. They are clearly pirates. Yes. They're high-risk traders. Yes. Katara discovers a waterbending scroll. Yeah. Oh, look. it's It's the thing from the title of the episode. Yay. Wow. We did it. And, you know, the pirate's not going to part with the scroll for anything less than 200 gold. They have two copper. Yeah. So Aang does this cute, dumb baby routine where he's like, how about one copper? How about two copper? And the pirate hates it. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) Not amusing the second time, boy. 
Yeah, I love that this pirate's just out here teaching lessons on diminishing returns in comedy. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they get foe with the quickness and uh, we sort of go into the act break with Katara being suddenly and curiously very anxious to leave. And as they walk away, all of the pirates like roll out from the ship and confront them, ready to fight. And we don't know why. <laughs> all right, act two, pirate chase. We're being chased by pirates. Right. Oh, there's a cool thing with the with bum, the like bum, Yeah, there's like mouth sounds in the music during this chase and fight. It's very cute. Love it. So good. I don't I don't like that I described it as mouth sounds, but <laughs> it's not an in, it's do. not an inaccurate description. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love that you did. Thank you. I do it all for you, boo. Anyway, we run into our fave cabbage guy. Oh my god. Poor cabbage guy. Okay, I would like to make a statement here and stand by it to my dying breath that the worst thing that happens in this episode is not stealing or like piracy or, you know, wanton. Dist- like, it's the fact that Aang jacked up the cabbage guy's cart just like as he's running by. Like that's so much worse than stealing from pirates. It's so mean. He's already through. He's through and he's fine. And he's like, no, I disrespect your property. It's so upsetting. Ugh, I hate it. I feel so bad for Kevin's guy. Oh, God. Thankfully, we we know, spoiler alert, he'll be fine. Yeah. Like, I just keep thinking about Cabbage Corp. Like, he's going to be okay. He's going to turn into, like, Jeff, the Jeff Bezos of the next (laughs) series. Oh, no. He becomes a bad guy. I think this is the moment that turned him into uh, an unethical billionaire. Anyway, they fly away and escape. They do. <laughs> and uh, they land in a nearby watery area where Katara reveals that she stole the waterbending scroll. Plot twist. Or as she likes to call it, high-risk trading. Yeah. But Sokka rightly, being you know being the straight man of the episode, calls Katara out here. No wonder the pirates are trying to hack us up. You put all of our lives in danger just so you could learn some stupid fancy splashes, which I love. Yeah, and I think it's one of those interesting things of like, yes, he is always dismissive of bending in general as a non-bender, but he makes a very fair point about not like leveling with the group that I think doesn't actually get paid off in a really good mm. way. And I, that's like my that's like my my little sticking point is that he says something right here like, I'm not mad that you stole from pirates. It's just that you didn't tell us about it that like we all were like almost killed because you made a choice for right. the squad. Right. Yeah. And Katara just tries to justify stealing the scroll here by appealing to the importance of teaching the avatar water bending. But it becomes readily apparent to us that she's driven by her egocentric competitiveness. She wants the scroll for herself because she wants to make sure it seems that she is a quote unquote better water bender than Aang or just like a good enough water bender. Yeah. And this is really the crux of the episode here. Yeah. And I think this is a good time to note that uh, the recap for the episode is just basically like eight other moments in the the series thus far where they say waterbending out loud to focus on that idea of Katara's self-conception as a waterbender. Like one of the like VO lines in the recap is like her saying out loud that she doesn't think that she really is one. Mm. So yeah, we've hit the crux of the episode and we're dealing with like the emotional like weight of 
her feeling like she is not enough of a waterbender to help Aang become yeah. one too. And of course, when they start cracking into the scroll, Aang is immediately better at it. Yeah, of course he is. He's the Avatar. And Katara <laughs> lashes out at him and and yells at him. But not with her waterbending because no, she because can't, she can't do, do it. it. She can only hit herself in the top of the face. Or or hit Momo in the butt. <laughs> Which is a great bit. God bless Momo. God bless. Momo, just the heaviest hitter. I know he's a flying lemur, but he is also part goat. We love him. Greatest of all time. And we, we love, love D. So Aang starts to cry and Katara immediately feels bad, which is another cute Avatar moment for us. I think it's cute. I think it's also the like weird problem of a show being like 20 minutes long where they can't live in yeah. bad feelings for any amount yeah. of time. Where like he begins to do the lip quiver and she's like, oh my God, I'm sorry. I will never yeah. touch this scroll again. I'm done. Pull up, pull up. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. And also like a little fun idea that like, she's like, I'm done with it. Nothing good comes. And then of course she like goes to bed. And, and sneaks out at night. Obviously she's going to walk back yeah. on that. Yeah, she's going to walk back on that in two yes. seconds. But meanwhile, Iroh and Zuko happen upon those same pirates. They go into... Iroh's like loving all the items that the gang thought was weird. Like the monkey with the red diamonds in its eyes. Yeah. Love Iroh in this episode, man. <laughs> really love him. We, we stand Iroh. I also choose to believe that Iroh was brave enough to look in the back. <laughs> That's my of personal course. headcanon. And I'm going to die on that. Like, what do you think was in the back? Oh my God. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. What do you got? Um, you know, I think it's nothing. I think it's like a Black oh, Mirror episode wow. of just like you look into the bag and see yourself. Wow. I like that. Yeah. And I think and I think Iroh finds like he actually like is moved by it. Everyone else gets super disappointed and thinks it's a ripoff, but like Iroh is like, I'm a I'm a different yeah, man he's into now that. because I look he's into that bag. kind of stuff. Yeah, he's super into it. He's like 20, 20 gold well spent. Yeah. Let's go. It's the thrill, right? It's the thrill. Exactly. I was brave enough. It's not about what's in the bag. It's about the fact that I was able to do it. Love that. We should all look in the bag. New story vendors merch <laughs> yeah. coming. Who's brave enough to look in the bag? <laughs> just a just a bravery bag. Anyway, <laughs> Zuko overhears the pirates talking about the Water Tribe girl and her bald monk friend, and he puts it together. So they they hunt a, uh they team up to hunt for the scroll and the avatar. Uh, yeah. So they're on the water, and there's this uh, smart Zuko moment. They stole a waterbending scroll, right? So they're going to be on the water. Love that. Love, love that. It. We love it. Show him being yeah. clever. <laughs> so Katara sneaks out at night to practice and is captured by the pirates and Zuko. And the other greatest line in this series, I'll save you from the pirates, as Zuko like catches I mean, I'm sorry. I can't even get through the description of this without my brain just beginning to write fan fiction. <laughs> it, like, it was uh, a very sexually tense it, moment where Zuko leans in and whispers, I'll save you from the pirates. Yeah, dog, like in an episode that's got a whole bunch of boats in it, this is the most important ship. Katara <laughs> forever. Just, mm, mm, I'm into that. it. So now we're going into act three. Here we go. Zuko offers the imprisoned Katara her mother's necklace in exchange for information on Aang's location. And yeah, you know, Katara's necklace here is another symbol of her legacy, her water tribe legacy and her water bender lineage. Yeah. And this becomes such a like important and like 
recurring symbol for her that it even gets lampshaded uh, in the season three episode, the Ember Island right. players. My mother's necklace. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's nice to see like the sort of beginnings of that. And uh, the fact that Katara, even, even absent her necklace, is not a snitch. She's a lot yeah. of things, but not a snitch. We love, love it. Love to see it. And Zuko also is conniving here. He, you know, the pirates are like, all right, we got our scroll. Let us go. Zuko threatens to burn the scroll, you know, in exchange for getting the pirates help to finding and capturing Aang. And they they agree. So that happens. Aang and Sokka get kidnapped. And then um, Sokka very smartly explains to the pirates like, hey, like, you're going to give up the Avatar in exchange for a scroll, a piece of paper. And the pirates are getting all thirsty for Avatar money. Yo, you got to make the greed play. I love it. And it turns into a fight. Yeah. Like there's lots of fights. This is it's the second action sequence like in the episode. And in lieu of like explaining too much about it, uh, I do a lot of like dungeon mastering. And uh I just want to like point out a couple like really good game master takeaways for uh what to do in encounters. Because thus far, and as far as I remember, and we'll at with with each episode, I will re-examine and reevaluate this this claim that I'm gonna like call out now. Uh, the show has done a really good job of making sure that the fights don't feel stale or sort of perfunctory. Mm. And I think the like big takeaways here, they begin with, uh, Sokka convincing like the like United enemies to turn on each other. Like I, I always love a good like charisma mm. play to even or alter the board state in the advance of a fight. I love the use of the like pirate smoke bomb as like a set piece for making the fight like look and feel different and adding different like difficulties and opportunities by like having a low vision fight. Um, a super loved Momo uh, versus the pirate parrot. I hate that parrot with my whole heart. Uh, what is the, uh, it's just D versus D in a weird voice off. I hated how it sounded. Yeah, it's, it's like three D's at least. Yeah, it's an 8D moon. <laughs> just, <laughs> but it's a very cool like cut away from what would be like a normal sort of commonplace, like our good guys versus bad guys fight. And I don't know. We have like a nice little aerial moment with like the sweeping the the wings through the water. That's very very cute. Uh, but I think the big the big actual takeaway here is uh, the tactical use of environmental and enemy threats within an encounter. Like they had they fought the pirates and they fought uh, like Zuko's forces, escaped on a boat, and then that last big set piece with the waterfall, saying that like the environment is also something to overcome. I think having Lots of things for like players or for like characters to think about and engage mm. with allows each of their abilities to like step up in like an interesting way. So like once again, kind of going back to Sokka being uh, like a non-bender, allowing to him to have the clever moment of dividing the forces before the fight because he's right. smart. And then he like he gets like a kick or two in like throughout the actual like fight proper, but like having lots of different kinds of moments within the encounter to let different kinds of characters and different kinds of players shine is the thing that this show does very well that like is good to make fights and scenes feel full and not just like, I don't know, filler. Yeah. I, I love that. It's the thing that happens in like anime a bunch where you're like, okay, another fight sequence. Anyway, I'm going to go like grab some popcorn and pee yeah. and like live the rest yeah. of my life. No, I, I, that's very well said. And it's a, it's a great takeaway from this episode and, and most episodes of Avatar 
seem to make good on the promise of a more engaging fight action sequence. You know, the gang gets away. Sokka, again, smartly hides the waterbending scroll and has it in the end. The pirates get washed down the river. The lotus tile was in Iroh's sleeve the whole time. So cute. That little freeze frame of him, like, proudly uh, (laughs) showing off the lotus tile, like, just... I don't know what the writers were thinking in making Iroh such a goddamn cutie, but I love it. it. (laughs) Also, shout out to Appa. Deus Ex Mappina happens. Yes. The the bison whistle actually does work, and he swoops him up. Why didn't you hear it the first time, though? That's a very good question. Maybe he's just, like, vibing. Like, you know what? They didn't finish my toes. I got this. In the background of the shot, he like came to check to see if they were okay. And he was like, all right, they're fine. False alarm. What if he just got like distracted looking in the bag? He's like, I also want to see what's in this bag. Appa looks in the bag. Appa looks in the bag. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. And then we kind of end with Katara's like apology, wrapping up the lesson about being uh, emotionally competent and taking back the mantle of the emotional core from Aang, who did a very good job stepping into that role while she was like absolutely on on one. And then we get like our closing lines, like stealing is wrong unless it's from pirates. <laughs> they all laugh at it. Really, really goofy. But I do want to use that ending line as a transition to like the main thesis for this episode. So like, Amidst the fun of stealing from pirates, like this fundamental question of who actually rightfully owns the waterbending scroll leads us into an interesting uh, investigation of like legacy and the emotional effects of high expectations on our main characters. Let's break it off and let's start with Katara. Yeah. So Katara's legacy as the last Southern waterbender. And uh, this is one of those like dumb, like legacy is defined in the dictionary. So um, in lieu of that, I do want to talk about like the different sort of understandings of what legacy means. And for Katara specifically, and primarily since she really is the core of this episode, it's about legacy as pressure and expectation. Mm -hmm. And I think that really falls down to like, that act one training sequence from Katara's perspective, where she's showing Aang what little waterbending that she knows. And we have, once again, a shout out to the rule of threes. Uh, She's got three forms, the one that's easy for her, the one that's tricky for her, and the one that's beyond her current ability. Mm. And uh, I think this like entire sequence like highlights more so than anything else, this idea of like the lack of a knowledge legacy left to Katara because she's the last Southern waterbender. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. She has no choice but to cobble together any scraps of information that barely work. She, you know, she she always water whips backwards. Yeah, but she, <laughs> but she's she's very clearly and smart smartly written by the writers here she's clearly driven by a sense of duty the 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 pressure around her being the last southern waterbender yeah ever exactly uh and i think it it's a it's a really humanizing moment and important to understand that like these sort of negative person like we're seeing like kind of the 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 ugly side of Katara in this episode but like so much of that insecurity and like that anger is grounded in how starved she is to learn more it's the problem of like she is very talented and very clever and driven and like wants to have she just doesn't have access to it and I think that sort of like 
starvation ideology in her head manifests as lashing out at Aang, who right. any other day she would happily acknowledge that like he's the avatar, probably trains in like base martial arts enough to like be competent at all forms. Like there's a way yeah. that she could think her way through this, but like in that moment, in that high pressure situation where she sees the gap between her and him, like, yeah, she's going to act out. Yeah. I love that. I, I love that. Um, you know, when Aang produces the massive wave and it's coming it's shadowing over Sokka and threatening to completely drown him. <laughs> Sokka goes, Aang? Because he knows, <laughs> like, he knows, even without paying attention, that if someone is making a massive wave around him, it's got to be the Avatar. Right? Exactly. But yeah, I think, yeah, just like the main idea here is that this pressure to comport herself as a proper waterbender, not only for herself in the world, but as Aang's first waterbending teacher, as well as representing the last of the Southern Water Tribe's tradition once they reach the North, mm. is this thing that propels the narrative forward. And she's going to break her position as the moral core for the group in order to like steal the waterbending scroll because of that pressure. And like pressure and response is a good thing. And it's nice to see that like, there is a thing that can get Katara to stop being the Katara we expect. And it's nice to see it like pretty early in the series. Yeah. I love, I love this. I, I love this from a meta sense from the writers to push Katara into this difficult situation and basically force her to learn this lesson. Yeah. And it, and it, do, it doesn't feel forced. It, it's a very relatable human reaction to the pressure that she's feeling. hundred percent. And there's so many other things that like she will overcome in the series by virtue of being like the last waterbender from the South or like a female in the North, which we'll get to in later episodes. But like, this is the trial given to Katara. That's entirely like within herself. It's not someone else like challenging her or forcing her to like rise to a moment. She struggles internally and then she fails. Okay. When I say she fails, I guess this is like, huh, let's let's talk about this. Like, yeah. do you think Katara was right or wrong for stealing the waterbending scroll? Hmm. That's a that's a tricky question. Um I tend to side with Katara in in stealing the waterbending scroll. Mm. Like sort of defining right or wrong is is always a tricky one for me. I am currently binging The Good Place, so... <laughs> she would end up in the bad place. I'm big time on my cheaty shit right now, like what is right and wrong. It's all woven up in this internal turmoil that the writers are showing us that Katara is experiencing. The waterbending scroll is a symbol of her waterbender legacy, of her water tribe legacy. It The, the pirate admits they stole it up north, right? And... Katara know none of this is said, but it's all subtextual. Katara knows mm. they're going north. So yeah. in her mind, it's like, or I'm I'm putting this in her mind. She doesn't say this, but it's it's a reasonable jump to say, oh, we're going there. We have an opportunity to return this artifact to my people, to the water benders. And of course, she's also very selfishly driven by the desire to be competitive with Aang and become a better waterbender. And she sees this as a get rich quick opportunity to do so. So is she yeah. right? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. And I mean, because I did 
absolutely just sort of sub- subconsciously come out and say that I think that she's wrong for what she did. Uh, I will take the other side of this and say that like, yes, I think in the end, the good things that will come of this is that she returns like stolen knowledge back to like the people from whence it came. And it like, but that's not why she did it. And when we talk about like, I, I would love to get into like the moral philosophy of all this as someone who like very much almost majored in philosophy and then switched to, you know, a slightly less useless major <laughs> of political science. Like, yeah, we can talk about the moral weight of like intention versus mm-hmm. result. And I think her intention in that moment was not, I'm going to restore a lost artifact to uh, a people. Also, I'm very curious does she identify as like also being of the Northern Water Tribe? Like, yeah, do you like know what I mean? Like, tribes are they the same people? They, like, they refer yeah. to each other as sister tribes. So I think they, I think they yeah. have some familial bond in that way. But she's yeah. definitely from the okay. south. But also, water bending yeah. is a genetic birthright of waterbenders, north and south, in a way. Right. So the st- the stealing of the waterbending scroll is an infringement on their culture, North and South combined. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. And I get that. But I just, it's just for, for me, it's the fact that she did something impulsively in the moment that she was able to backwards justify yeah. later poorly to Sokka, where she was like, well, we have to do it for Aang. Like, that's not why you did it. Thank God you're able to come up with a reason after the fact to like make it make sense. So I don't think that she was right in doing so, but I think the result, uh, the ability for both her and Aang to like learn a little more before they showed up in the North is like net good. And the ability to like return a important and like monetarily valuable artifact to the Northern Water Tribe is good, but no, she's not right for doing so. And she's bad and she feels bad. <laughs> is- and, she, and you know what? And she does feel bad. And I, th- I think she learns from this experience. They laugh it off in the end, you know, stealing uh, unless it's from pirates. But, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm a glass half full, rose colored glasses boy over here, but I think Katara legitimately learns multiple valuable lessons from this experience, from the way she worked herself emotionally through the experience from the decisions she made. I feel like it's here in the, in the show we're shown Katara learning and growing. And I, and I say all this to say you win the debate again. I submit she was wrong (laughs) for doing it because her intentions were selfish and not, you know, not, not aligned with what's good. Right. I mean, I don't think I win this because I have changed the stakes to, like, what do we mean by, like, right? And I, if I say that, like, the the measure for rightness is intent, then, like, I think it's hard to make a case that she's in the right here. But if the measure of success is result, then, like, yeah, she was right in keeping bad people from profiting off of, like, stolen culture. Right. A hundred percent she was able to help the greater good of like the avatar being one step closer to being uh, ready to face down like the biggest threat in the world. So like, it's just a matter of like goalposts and where you choose to like move them. 
And beyond that, I think there's a really interesting uh, idea here. The thing that Katara is struggling with, with legacy and expectation, uh, I think it's super relatable one for like any sort of coming of age story. But I think there's something really cool here. It, sorry, all of this to say, Katara's arc in this episode reminds me a ton of Miles Morales in Into the Spider-Verse. Oh. And uh, I just keep, my my mind kept going back to that, like, early in Act 1 in Spider-Verse when uh, Miles makes the No Expectations mural, like the graffiti mm. mural, that, like, yeah, I think just like Katara is dealing with this sort of legacy and, uh, like, a, the lack of a proper mentor to, like, move her through all of this, like, expectation Miles, both within the movie and metatextually, is wrestling with the legacy of like not only like his parents' expectations for him, uh, sort of putting putting his art uh, away in order to lean into his studies at uh, at the like cool school that he's going to right. in Brooklyn, but more of like the the legacy that Miles is stepping into as being the next Spider-Man and a Spider-Man in and of himself, that there's so much pressure there. Like Spider-Man is such a popular character that we have like 400,000 movies about him and TV shows and like comic books and cartoons. And like, there's, that's a lot to put on a character legacy wise. And I just, I see the parallel here. And obviously like Into the Spider-Verse had the time and energy to focus on just a singular character's like legacy and expectations. But like, since that's also one of my favorite like animated pieces, I it felt really good to like sort of feel in this episode that nice striking parallel to uh, Miles's struggle in in his I own film. That. I love that. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's move on to our next character's conflict with his or her legacy and that's of course the avatar ang yeah ang's legacy is his handed down responsibilities and his handed down capabilities act one's training sequence from ang's perspective is oh man i'm amazing at waterbending what the heck (laughs) why it's just it's just easy for him it is pretty wild but like I feel like Katara did the least amount of motion and it surprises me that Aang didn't just trip one time near a lake and just water yeah. bend, you know? That doesn't feel like you did that much to like tap into your water bending legacy, but like, sure, now you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that idea of like re-examining the act, act one training sequence from Aang's perspective sort of seeing and understanding full well, especially now that we've sort of unlocked that idea of Aang as the latest inheritor in a long legacy of avatars, that he has this legacy of like ability granted to him that allows him to really effortlessly move through like those three forms the easy the one that was easy for katara the one that's tricky for katara and the one that was beyond her ability and the fact that he's just able to do it and exerts so little effort in doing so that he's even able to like take on the added uh emotional weight of being like the moral core for a moment once he like clocks 
that his ease with waterbending has immediately frustrated Katara. Right. And that's part of his role as the Avatar, right? It's not just having being like the strongest bender in, in the world. It's also being like a force of balance and peace and mediation and especially Aang's slant on being the Avatar. He's always going to be quick to diffuse other people's negative emotions, help people in need. You know, this is just the type of Avatar that Aang wants to be. Yeah. And it's amazing to like see the beginnings of that really coming through and shining. And I feel like it it's beginning to pay off on the promise of that like very key line from last episode, the like, I know you can do it for you've done it before. That like <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. But yeah, I think there's just that like sense of confidence that comes from like knowing that you're capable of doing something unlocks and sort of unblocks you from like stumbling at the precipice yeah. of it. So yeah, if he's about to get good, it feels it feels good to like see it and see immediately the effects his like jump up in power has on the rest of the group. Yeah, it's cool to see her. There's like one other thing that deserves mentioning that we wanted to talk about, which is kind of jumping forward and talking about like if we're going to talk about the legacy of the avatar as like handed down yeah. ability, uh, I think it bears mentioning that we should talk about how Korra fits into this too, because she is she is the next avatar in this cycle. And there's that sort of software definition of legacy that's worth like mentioning here when we talk about like old software that's like built into like the bones of a program that like is super outdated, but like it's too hard to like remove it. So you just sort of build on top ah. of it because like it's too foundational, even though it's outdated that like at the end of the day, isn't that what Cora's yeah. struggle was as the avatar was what was her purpose in a world that like doesn't necessarily need avatars. because of the because of the advancements in technology and, and such. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to do Legend of Korra with you after this. hundred <laughs> percent. It's going to be so good. Yeah. Uh, 30 hours later. <laughs> Hundo P. But yeah, so uh, I think there's just interesting things to think about and talk about with Legacy for both characters, like bumping up against it in the episode, which are primarily Katara and Aang, and then the ones that we don't really see them directly interacting with the ideas of their Legacy, but like knowing that that's important for their character and seeing what actions uh, they take in the episode sort of hint at and uh, like allude to it, which is just me being very sneaky and saying that we're going to talk about Prince Zuko next. Yeah, we are. <laughs> so let's talk about Prince Zuko then and like the idea of the failure of legacy. So uh, another way to think about legacy is uh, the sort of like U.S. college understanding of that, like, preferential treatment for family members connected to, like, an organization or a college, mm -hmm. uh, it feels so appropriate because, like, Zuko as a crown prince, but one in exile and fallen from grace feels like such an interesting idea of the person that is truly, like, capital E entitled to so much. Right. And his legacy has been, like, taken from him and rightly or not and whether it's a good legacy or not doesn't matter 
the thing that he is struggling with and trying to push through and rectify is the like the reclaiming of his legacy, of his birthright, of the things that he believes belong to him. Of my honor. Exactly. His honor is the thing that he believes that he owns all the time, no matter what, and therefore is willing to do whatever it takes to reclaim. Yeah. So, you know, honor is his waterbend. Hell yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting and fun to point out that Zuko and his ragtag firebender crew they almost feel closer to the pirates than they do to Zhao and the capital ships of the Fire Nation at this point. Oh my God, a hundred percent. I feel like uh, it was first made very apparent because uh, you pointed out the shot in last episode where we were talking about uh, Zuko's little putt-putt boat sailing through the Fire yeah. Nation blockade and that like the difference in distance and vantage point. So if we began to see it there, that there's the, this gap between the Fire Nation proper and Zuko, I think the like continuation and payoff of that is seeing Zuko's little ragtag group beside pirates and having that look a little more equivalent than anything else that like the fall from grace for like Zuko's whole like squad and situation yeah. is moving towards like scrappy pirate and away from like prestigious fire nation. It's, it's such a subtle detail, but it's now that you're pointing it out, it feels so intentional, which is amazing. Right. And like, obviously this has to be like a sneaky shout out to like our good boy, Don Tabasco's Rufio. Right? Like, Oh my god! Like, there's no way you get you get him to voice anything, and you don't sit there and go like, "Are we going to do a pirate thing?" At some <laughs> and and spoiler alert for next week, we got some <laughs> lost boys coming up as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so, so Don Tabasco. Wait, can we call Zuko's little crew the Lost? We boys? can, but uh, I, you know, isn't Jet's crew the Lost Boys? Well, Jet's crew can right, be Jet's right. crew, but like I don't like saying Zuko's crew because it sounds like he's a like a Jabberwocky <laughs> or something really st stupid. Oh man! Oh yeah. So that about wraps up this episode. We talked about legacy and how who rightfully owns the waterbending scroll was an opportunity for us to examine how each of these characters idea of their own legacy affects their decisions, their actions, their emotions, obviously chiefly Katara here, as this is a very Katara centric episode, but also for Aang and for Zuko, how their legacies affect their decisions and the way they behave in the world. A hundred percent. And uh, I loved this episode, you know, rewatching re it with you. I was like, wow, this episode is amazing. It's really fun. It, it moves quickly and it's, it's great. <laughs> yeah no it's very no good notes. no notes so join us next week for episode 10 jet yeah where oh i'm so excited for, for one of my Lost absolute Boys. This is favorite very, very episodes good. can't wait to rewatch it oh he's so good yes but until then uh where can you be found Josh? i can be found on twitter i'm at shua himself on twitter one word and i occasionally retweet funny stuff and tweet funny stuff uh, nothing too serious. And I'm also, I've also been streaming on Twitch a lot, as you now know, at, uh, I'm watch Shua on Twitch again, one word. And, uh, I'm playing magic, the gathering. I'm playing a lot of Warcraft, which I'm a little embarrassed to admit, but it's been really fun. 
Why are you in Paris? It's it cool. cool. I like it. I think so. I don't know. We spend our time talking about like episodes of <laughs> our last year vendors. You know, cool Fair is enough. relative. Fair enough. <laughs> and yeah, that's that's what I've been up to. What what about you? Ooh, um, I stream all over the place. You can follow me on social media at Quiddy, Q-U-I-D-D-I-E. Uh, mostly Twitter, very rarely Instagram, because I am just so deeply out of the algorithm's graces that like I don't know why I bother. Um, I got a couple shows going on right now. Uh, on Sundays, you can catch me playing Creature Collectors, which is a D&D 5th uh, edition game on a Critical Bard's Twitch channel. Sundays at... 12 30 p.m pacific uh on mondays you can normally catch me playing uh rhyme of the frost maiden with my group chaos initiative on like dungeons and dragons like dnd's actual like twitch channel mondays at 1 p.m uh on fridays you can catch me on a show called failed save which is on pixel circus at six o'clock all the times are pacific i could stop saying (laughs) that now and then uh (laughs) later on in like mid-january we'll be spinning up the new uh salt bay campaign over on saving throw show uh i i am not at liberty to reveal like what the setting and like campaign are going to be yet but we're in the process of building it now and i'm so excited and i'm very happy uh happy and stoked to like slide back into the gm seat with with assault days uh other than that yeah right uh other than that on january 30th you can actually catch uh part two of day of remembrance which is a level 20 D D. uh it was a one shot and now it's a two shot uh that was a fundraiser for world builders charity uh it's got it was it's on patrick rothfuss's channel uh and yeah right and it's gonna be uh me and him talison jaffe anna prosser brennan lee mulligan and sage ryan all playing and uh we're dungeon mastered by b dave walters so we're coming back for a round two uh i will not be using my my luck sword anymore because it went so badly <laughs> last time but it'll be really fun and we're raising we're raising so much money for charity so uh, i don't know what our goals are going to be but like tune in that's for that. incredible as as your friend i'm very proud of you because that's that's a wonderful thing oh thank you Beyond that, let's give a shout out to our awesome producer and the musical head of our show, Ryan Iyengar. Thank you for everything, Ryan. You're doing the God's work. He's got personal projects on Bandcamp. Uh, he's also a member of Super Madness, which is a uh, like a video game cover band. They do like retro video game covers. And uh, Josh, do me a favor, just make like a little like musical thing and see if Ryan like Ryan, you have to edit something cool over this. Go. Super Madness. Super Madness. Madness, super madness, super madness. Good luck with that. Nailed it. Hopefully that sounds cool. <laughs> what if he just leaves it normal? He won't. He won't. He won't. <laughs> that was a good episode. All right. That was good. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.